Thank you, Jim, for that ministry of music. Unfortunately, things don't always turn out the way that we plan. We make plans, and for some reason or another, they do not come to fruition. That can be very disappointing to those who have been counting on us. In our text this morning, we discover that Epaphroditus has been sent by the church in Philippi to take a monetary gift unto Paul and to minister to him while he is in prison. The Philippians must have been very surprised when Epaphroditus returns home so quickly. They had not expected him to return when he did. Why would he be coming back rather than staying on and ministering to Paul during Paul's imprisonment? After all, that is why they sent him to Paul in the first place. Why hadn't he done what the Philippians had expected of him? How were they to regard his return? What should they say to him? What should their response be? How should they view him? That's Paul's concern as he writes to the Philippians and tells them that Epaphroditus, in fact, is returning. Our theme this morning is that Paul paves the way for Epaphroditus' return and tells the Philippians that they should hold him in high regard for the service that he has rendered. They are not to view Epaphroditus as a failure by any means, or that somehow he had failed to accomplish the purpose for which God had sent him. But rather, Paul says, they are to view him in high regard and to rejoice when they see him. There are a lot of practical applications for us this morning. And so look with me at Philippians 2 as we unpack this paving of the way of Paul. Paul for the return of Epaphroditus. We begin by noting that Paul informs the Philippians that he is sending Epaphroditus back to them. Paul is doing so not because Epaphroditus was a failure. In fact, Paul appreciated him very much. Paul had a special relationship to Epaphroditus. And in this special relationship, Paul related to Epaphroditus on four different levels. There were four special relationships that Paul enjoyed to Epaphroditus. Look with them at me, uh, look with me, if you would, at them in Philippians 2.25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now here are the, the four relationships. My brother, number one. Number two, fellow worker. Number three, fellow soldier. Number four, one who was your messenger. And five, one who ministered to my needs. So let's look at these five things. First, Epaphroditus was a fellow believer in the Lord. He simply refers to him in verse 25 as my brother. Not a physical brother, but a spiritual brother. Even as we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul was glad to see Epaphroditus. When he came, because he was a brother in the Lord. He was, he was a fellow Christian. And that is one way in which all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ should uh, relate to one another as Christians. And we should be special to each other. 
because we belong to the family of God. And so we use the terminology of brothers and sisters. But more than that, Epaphroditus was a fellow laborer in the Lord with Paul. Notice verse 25, where Paul refers to him as a fellow worker. He worked alongside with Paul for the advancement of the gospel. He could be relied upon. He was faithful. He was dutiful. He uh, did that which was necessary. He was a, a fellow worker, which is another way in which we relate to people, that we have the opportunity to serve alongside. And it creates a unique bond as we serve side by side with each other, whether that be in such things as the men who did the, and women who did the roof project or those that are serving in the sound booth, those that are teaching Sunday school, being involved in each other's lives and working together for the cause of Christ brings about a unique bond. But even more than that, Epaphroditus was one who had suffered hardship along with, with Paul. Notice in verse 25, he refers to him as a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. Paul uses that metaphor to describe one who has suffered hardship. Listen to the words of 2 Timothy 2.3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In that particular passage in 2 Timothy Paul uses an extended analogy talking about those that are in the military service and how they suffer a great deal in order to be subservient to the one who has, they are serving in the military. You think about our military. And we have military people around the world that today are sacrificing. They're away from family. They're away from loved ones. They are experiencing hardship and difficulty. They are putting themselves in harm's way. Uh, they are in unpleasant circumstances time and time again. We have military scattered around the globe. And Paul uses that metaphor to describe those that are good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who have signed up, who have been inducted into his service, and as a result, suffer hardship. So, Paul relates to, to, to Epaphroditus as a, as a person that can understand Paul's sufferings, who share in those sufferings. And then, even more than that, Epaphroditus was a messenger from the Philippians to Paul. Verse 25, you're a messenger. Epaphroditus came not only bearing greetings from the church at Philippi to Paul, but he also came bearing a financial gift. Philippians 4.18 But I have received everything in full and have an abundance I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. So here is this trusted servant that the Philippians entrusted a degree of money to in order to take to Paul to help him in his imprisonment. For in that era of time, you had to pay to be in prison. You had to pay for your housing. You had to pay for the food that you ate. It's quite different from our society. But in that society, if you were going to eat, you had to pay. And how could you pay if you are incarcerated? You either had to come in with an awful lot of money or you had to know some people. Paul didn't come in with a lot of money, but he knew some people. And the church at, Ma uh, church at Philippi gave a gift to help Paul in his imprisonment to pray for his stay. And Epaphroditus brought that gift to Paul. And then lastly, even more than that, he was one who had ministered to Paul's needs in the midst of Paul's difficulties. Verse 25. 
and minister to my need. Paul had a lot of needs while he was in prison. Uh, there would have been the financial need that we just discussed. There have been physical needs that he would have to have. There were emotional needs. And Epaphroditus ministered at all those levels to Paul. So he was quite an individual. He was uh, very appreciated by Paul. From this, we learn a number of things. First, we relate to people on many different levels. On the more levels that we can relate to people, the more precious they become to us. I hope, if you are here this morning, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you feel welcomed in our midst. You don't need to be a member in order to be welcomed in our midst, to, to fellowship with us, to take communion, to be involved in worshiping and honoring and giving praise to God. And there's a unique bond that exists among us because we, in fact, are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's another level. And that is working alongside one another in order to accomplish the work of God. And if you really want to feel a part, if you really want to feel welcomed, if you, if you really want to develop in relationship with one another, the best way to do that is to work alongside. You get to know each other. You get to appreciate each other. You know, I, I mentioned a couple of times the work project. It was great to see these individuals out here uh, working uh, long hours in the hot sun. And uh, they got to know a lot more about each other as a result. Appreciate each other more as a result. As you teach Sunday school with other people, as you involve yourself in committees, as you get involved in sharing the work of God, it enables you to relate to one another at a different level. Thirdly, we are encouraged by those who make sacrifices and are willing to suffer in order to see the work of God go through. This, this aspect of the good soldier. You know, there, there are people among us that, that work really, really hard. There are people that sacrifice a lot of time, uh, some uh, finances, in order for the work of God to be accomplished. There are loads of opportunities for you to get involved in the life of our church. We've been talking about the fall frolic. There's a sign-up sheet to, to help for that one day. If, if you can man some booths and uh, help with foodstuffs in, in a variety of ways. There's always Sunday school. In the very near future, we're coming out with a May I Help sheet. It's going to be a number of pages long about opportunities to be involved in the life of the church, if you would so desire. If you have a particular gift or interest, we want to know about it. And so you're going to be given the opportunity to respond. But there is a level of appreciation when you look around and recognize that people have really given of themselves they endear themselves to you. Next, we are refreshed by those who bring good tidings to us and share with us and others their concern in our difficulties. Uh, there is a refreshment that comes. One of the ministries that is in the life of our church that many people would be unaware of is the ministry of our deacons. Our deacons are extremely active, but they don't sound a horn or a brass or hit a brass cymbal about the things they are doing. They're very low key and uh, they guard people's privacy. And so we don't speak about these things publicly. 
But the reality is that there are many people that are helped financially that in times of, of difficulty and, and uh, have a financial need that our deacons come to their aid. They provide uh, opportunities for people after a, a funeral service. They have a compassion meal for individuals. They, they help with transportation needs of, of individuals that, that need to go to doctor's appointments, etc. That, that can't. Uh, I could go on and on. The deacons do many, many things. And one of them that they do is they, they visit our, our widows, our, our shut-ins regularly. They go, and as they go to these individuals, their spirits are refreshed. Uh, they're ministered to. They know that they're cared for. They know that they're remembered. And uh, it's appreciated. So there's that level that we relate to one another. And then, lastly, there's that personal ministry that we extend to, to one another, even as Epaphroditus is referred to as ministering to Paul and his need. One of the great ways that we minister to one another is simply by praying for one another. Uh, I would highly recommend to you, uh, encourage you, if you don't uh, regularly come to prayer meeting, uh, to make that a uh, goal in your life. And I know everybody's schedule is different. And you have to know before God what you can and cannot do. But, but it, it's a great time. And it's a wonderful way to get to know people better. Uh, to pray with somebody. You want to know what's going on in their life. You want to know what makes them tick. You want to know what they're experiencing. You want to know what their joys are. What their sorrows are. You know, as you look around, maybe you don't even know the names of some of the people that are gathered here. One of the things that we do in our prayer meeting is that we pray for our entire congregation on a rotating basis. We take about four or five uh, individuals or families, put them on our prayer list, and they're prayed for. If you're in our directory, you're prayed for. You're prayed for. And it's great to be able to pray for everybody here that's a part of our directory. You are remembered by name in prayer. And uh, more than once, I'll pray with someone and, and they'll say, now who's this person? Uh, I don't know that person. And I'll try to describe where they sit and what they, they look like and, and try to help them put a name to a face. And we do have a record book back there that Pastor Brain has put together with people's pictures and their names. So if you don't know somebody, you can go back there and, and associate a, a name with a, with a face. Well, it's, it's one thing to know people on that level. It's great if you're out in the highways and byways, you know, you're in the store and you walk across. And you see somebody say, oh, you know, I go to church with that person. And uh, be able to walk over and say hello, and, and uh, it's good to see you. Well, that's, that's great. But there's a, a deeper level that we can minister to one another. And, and, and that really is manifested as we get together and pray for one another. Uh, wonderful way to be involved in people's lives. To, to really feel a part of the church a part of the family, uh, to really feel intricately involved in the people of God. My point to you is that Epaphroditus related to Paul in all these areas. So is it any wonder that Epaphroditus was greatly appreciated by Paul? Secondly, it was necessary that Paul sent Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. So then, if... if 
Epaphroditus was so helpful to Paul, if he was so appreciated by Paul, if it was so valued as to what Epaphroditus was doing, then why wasn't he staying there? Why was Paul sending him back? What was it that necessitated his return? Verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Why was it necessary? He gives two reasons. First, it was necessary because Epaphroditus had a deep spiritual concern for the Philippians. Verse 26. Because he was longing for you all. He was longing for you all. Boy, what does that mean? He was longing for you all. We're not to understand from that that he was homesick. Here's Epaphroditus, never been away from home before. And he's out there with his gift and he's ministering to Paul and he's crying himself to sleep at night because he wants to go home and he wants to see the the Philippians and, and he's homesick. No, no. He wasn't homesick. He had a great spiritual concern for the Philippians. Look with me at Philippians 1.8. Paul writes. Philippians 1.8. For God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's the exact same word. Exact same word. Paul says, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I'm concerned about you with a godly concern, with the very love that Jesus Christ gives and manifests. I'm concerned about you. And Epaphroditus shared that quality with Paul, namely that he was concerned about the spiritual state of the Philippian church. And then, notice the second reason it was necessary. Because Epaphroditus was greatly troubled by the effect his illness might have had upon the Philippians. Verse 26, because he was long for your all, number one, and two, he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He was troubled. He was upset. He was in distress over the Philippians. He was concerned about what effect... His being sick would have on the Philippians. What response, what response it would elicit in them. What would be the effect? The distress was over whether or not this sickness would have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Now I'll say a few about that a little bit more in just a few moments. For in notice, indeed, that the Philippians had heard concerning Epaphroditus' sickness was true. It had not been exaggerated. Epaphroditus had been gravely ill. In fact, he'd almost died, verse 27. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. Philippians, what you have heard is true. Word got back to Philippi somehow that Epaphroditus was dying. They had heard that. He was dying. But now he'd recovered. He was okay. He had almost died. 
But now he was restored. But would that be the straw that broke the camel's back for the Philippians? In other words, would that difficulty? Here they send out Epaphroditus with this sacrificial gift that they had accumulated. And they entrusted it to, to Epaphroditus to take to Paul. And they wanted Epaphroditus to minister to Paul on their behalf. They're already discouraged because Paul's in prison. And Paul has been laboring intensely to demonstrate the fact that this has happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Don't be discouraged because I'm in prison. But they're already discouraged because Paul's in prison. They're already discouraged because of the persecution. They're already discouraged because of all that's happening outside. And now they want to do this good deed. Now they want to minister. And doesn't Epaphroditus get sick? Doesn't everything just seem to go wrong? Isn't life miserable? Where is God? Why do these things happen? And Epaphroditus is very, very concerned about the people back home and the effect that his illness is going to have upon them. But God was gracious to Epaphroditus in sparing his life, verse 27. But God had mercy upon him. God had compassion. God raised him up. God restored him. And he was healed. And God was gracious to Paul as well in sparing Epaphroditus' life. Verse 27. And not to him only, but also to me. God was not only merciful to Epaphroditus, but God was merciful to Paul. How so? Verse 27. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. It would have been another heartache for Paul if Epaphroditus had died. Lest I had sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says, man, I've been going through so much. I've been in prison. I've been beaten. And now I get this gift and it's been wonderful. And I have this fella. He's a, he's a brother in the Lord. He's a worker in the gospel. He suffers for Jesus Christ. He's dependable. He's reliable. And now he's dying. And Paul said it would have been a great grief if Epaphroditus died. Especially knowing that he died in trying to minister to Paul. Paul says, I'm glad I didn't have to face that. I'm glad I didn't have to endure that. I'm glad I didn't have to experience that. I'm so glad that God raised him up. You see, it gives validity so Epaphroditus is concerned for the church at Philippi. If Paul questions what this would do to him if Epaphroditus died, isn't it any wonder that Epaphroditus is going to wonder what his illness would do to the Philippians? And so, it is with joy that Paul is going to send him home. Application. The suffering of others can be a great burden. The suffering of others can be a great burden. Uh, it's not easy to watch other people suffer. It's not easy to, to watch people die. Sometimes we're tempted to ask the question, why? 
Why, Lord? Why do you do this? Why do you allow this? It doesn't seem to make much sense. That's where the Philippians were in the suffering that Epaphroditus was experiencing. And how much more so if in some way we feel responsible for that? And I'll say more about that in the the next part. So Paul expresses himself in this manner so that the decision will not be questioned. For notice what he says. He says in verse 26, Uh, excuse me, verse 25, for I thought it necessary to send to you. I thought it necessary. Does that constitute a necessity on your part? Would you view it that way? Was there no other choice? Was there no other alternative? Wasn't there another course of action? Paul says it was necessary. And he says that for two reasons. One, so they won't question Epaphroditus' return, he's giving you a stamp of approval. He's saying to you, when he comes, welcome him, because it was necessary for him to go, go home. And then secondly, he validates these reasons. He says these are legitimate reasons. This, this is good that he feels this way. Makes us realize in life what are indeed the important things. How to make right decisions. What Paul constitutes as a necessity, the Philippians may not have. And so he expresses himself in this way. But it was more than just an act of duty that Paul was sending Epaphroditus to the Philippians. It was something that Paul was happy to do. Look at verse 28. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly. I have sent him all the more eagerly. He was happy to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. Why? Well, first, Paul was rejoicing in sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians because this was one way in which Paul could minister to them. Notice verse 28. In order that when you see him again, you may rejoice. He's happy to send him home because he's hoping that this will be a cause of rejoicing. The Philippians haven't had much to rejoice in. Life had been pretty miserable. And Paul says, I hope that when you see them again, you can rejoice. And don't let that be taken away from you. Don't feel sad. Don't worry about me or what is taking place. But rejoice when you see him again. So Paul is thankful because he doesn't have any money to send to the Philippines in return. He can't minister to them. He's in prison. In fact, he's writing a letter lamenting the fact that he can't come in person. How in the world can Paul minister to the church of Philippi? Well, one way is by sending Epaphroditus back there. So he says, I rejoice. And then secondly, Paul was rejoicing because in sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians, he can be comforted in the Philippians' well-being. At the end of verse 28, 
and I may be less concerned about you. I won't be so concerned about how you're doing. I won't be concerned about your spiritual well-being. I am trusting that as Epaphroditus comes back, he's going to minister to you. He's going to help you. And you're going to be encouraged when you see him in good health and good strength. You're going to see your answers to prayer. You're going to see the grace of God. He's going to tell you about my imprisonment and and how it's going. And as a result, Paul says, I'm here in prison, and I really worry about your spiritual well-being. See, he's right in tune with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is worried about their spiritual well-being. So Paul says, I'm sending him back. Because that's going to be a help to you. That's going to be a benefit to you. And that's ultimately going to be a comfort to me. So it's a cause of rejoicing when we're able to be able to minister to others. Even in the way in which they ministered to us. There's a natural desire to want to minister to those who have ministered to us. But here's the, the real key. And here's where we slow down. Paul informs the Philippians as how they are to view Epaphroditus' return. This, this is the crux of this, of this paragraph. Epaphroditus is coming home. Unexpectedly. Earlier than was anticipated. So, how should they view his return? What should their response be? How should they handle this? Well, first, they are to review Epaphroditus' return as a victory and not a failure, having returned by the will of God. Verse 29. Therefore, receive him in the Lord. The phrase in the Lord constitutes in the will of God. How should you receive him? You should receive him as this is God's will. This is God's will. And if it's God's will, we ought to rejoice in it. If it's God's will, we ought to accept it. If it's God's will, we ought to embrace it. If it's God's will, then there is nothing to be sad about as you welcome into your midst. But you accept it. It's the will of God. Secondly, they are to rejoice in Epaphroditus' return. Therefore, receive him, the Lord. And then notice this next statement, with all joy. With all joy. Meaning with pure joy. Or unmitigated joy. Or as I said earlier, with no tinge of sorrow or remorse. Paul says, there's nothing to be unhappy about in this. Don't feel bad for me. I'm glad to send him home. Don't look on the negatives. There are no negatives, Paul is saying. Just accept it as the will of God and rejoice in what God is doing. Submit to it. Thirdly, they are to give Epaphroditus a place of honor and view his service as exemplary. Verse 29. Therefore, receiving the Lord with all joy, now these words, and hold men like him in high regard. His conduct had been exemplary. His concerns were justified. His decisions were appropriate. Hold men like this in high regard. Don't look down on him because he's coming back so early. But respect him. Why? Well, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. There to give Epaphroditus a place of honor and view his service as emperor because of his extreme devotion to Christ. He came close to death for the work of Christ. 
They're to give Epaphroditus a place of honor and view his services as emperor because he was willing to burn out in his ministry. Notice verse 30. Because he came close to the death of Christ. Now these words, risking his life. Risking his life. Paul was held in high regard for risking his life for the gospel's sake. Paul was a hero in the early church. He could wear a badge proudly. He was in prison for the cause of Christ. He was respected. He was honored. Boy, there's a committed Christian. There's an exemplary example. Someone that is willing to risk their life for the gospel. They're in prison. Paul says of Epaphroditus in verse 30, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Epaphroditus had risked his life for the sake of the gospel also, but in a far different way. He wasn't risked with imprisonment. He was risked with some kind of physical problem that resulted from, verse 30, to complete what was deficient in your service to me. NIV, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, it's hard to know exactly what that is. But it probably consisted of two things. First, when Epaphroditus got there with this monetary gift, evidently it wasn't enough. Evidently, there was still some financial need there because it's deficient in what you're able to give. And Epaphroditus soon recognized that. Man, we wanted to help Paul and we're helping him, but there's more. And so I would submit to you, reading in between the lines, he got a job. And he was working feverishly to try to get enough money together to be able to pay Paul's bills. To be able to, to make his imprisonment just a little bit easier. Because notice what it says. Verse 30, that he risked his life to make up for the help that you could not give me or that you were deficient in. He's talking about his physical condition. He was close to death. Exhaustion. Tuberculosis. Pneumonia. I don't know. Don't know what the precise illness was. But whatever it was, it was directly related. A cause and effect to his desiring to minister to Paul's needs. He was so selfless in this that he worked himself to such a bone and to such a degree that he actually was putting his life at risk. He could have died. He was exhausted. He was weak. And the Philippians had heard about that. And I submit to you that they probably not only heard the fact, but the cause. Not only that Epaphroditus was sick, but why he was sick. 
And all those people back at Philippi, second-guessing themselves, why didn't we give more money? Why didn't we send more people? Why didn't five of us go instead of just one of us go? And Epaphroditus is going back to minister to them. You, you see how bigger the picture comes? So that Epaphroditus can go back and say, no, there's no hard feelings here. I don't think that you blew it. I recognize the sacrifice you gave in the finances. We appreciate that. I don't think you need to send out five or six people. He's going back to minister to them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to help them in all of this. Paul's need was great. Epaphroditus recognized it. And he was willing to shoulder the responsibility and come to Paul's aid. And in so doing, he had no regard for his own physical well-being. Well, there's a great lesson to be learned from this. I think, as we view the life of the church. There will always be, by the grace of God, there will always be a people that have an incredible sacrificial spirit that when they, they see a need, they're going to meet it. They're going to, they're going to take it in their hands and, and they're going to, by the grace of God, do whatever they can to alleviate it. Such people we need to hold in high regard. That's what Paul says to them. Hold him in high regard. We should appreciate the people that are among us that sacrifice in order to meet a need that they see. Secondly, we need to recognize if we aren't pulling our own load, what we're doing to others. If we aren't sharing in the work, we're just making so much more work for those who are. If I'm not giving my fair portion, I'm just making it more difficult for those people who are giving more than their fair portion. If I'm not active and trying to serve in life of the church, I'm just making more work for those that are willing to serve in the life of the church. And in so doing, we need to recognize the toll that that takes upon people. A physical toll, as in the example of Epaphroditus. There are people... That is a result of trying to carry too big a load, come down with all kinds of physical problems. They get weak, they get exhausted. There are emotional problems. People get burned out. There are financial struggles as individuals try to make up for a deficiency of funds. And they may sacrifice immensely in order to get that done. And, and so they're going without, so that other people don't have to. Socially, socially. 
the stress that we put on people's marriages. You know, I don't think that people ought to be here 24-7. I don't think it's healthy for people to be here every night of the week. I get concerned, quite frankly, sometimes about the amount of time I see some people put into our church. It can be hard in their marriages. It can be hard in their families. They don't have time for their kids. They don't have time for their spouse because they're here. On the one hand, it's commendable as it was in Paphrodite's life. In one hand, you look at that and you say, well, I appreciate that spirit. I appreciate that sacrifice. And I do. And on the other hand, I say, but does it really need to be that way? When we have all these resources at our hand. Does one person really be needing to do all of this when there's all of us? So, Paul writes this very frankly, very frankly, and says, he is sick because he's trying to make up for what you didn't do. A lot of candor in that statement. So, in coming back, he should be viewed as a hero and not as a failure. Appreciated. Appreciate it. And then this last thought, this last thought. Paul says it's necessary that he returns. I think that the church, by and large, would have said it was necessary for Epaphroditus to stay. That's why he's, he's addressing this. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says to them, I'll be okay. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've learned how to deal with much. I've learned how to deal with little. Paul is saying to the, to the, to the Philippian church, because Epaphroditus is going to return and they're going to say, why did you work so hard? He's going to say, because you don't understand how Paul has it. You don't understand what he's going through. And he says to them, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But you know the neat thing is? We find out from church history they send another gift. They rise to the occasion. They're helped, they're blessed, they're ministered. And they send another gift to Paul. He says, not that I speak in terms of want, Philippians chapter 4. Not that I'm trying to get something more from you. But he says, I rejoice. So, conclusion. First, things don't always work out the way that we planned. Oftentimes it's a mystery to what God does and why he does it. So we have to accept these things in the will of God. Secondly, such change in plans ought to be a cause of rejoicing. It doesn't mean that we have failed. It means that a sovereign God is overruled and we accept it. Third, we should appreciate those who labor tirelessly for the Lord. 
We should hold them in high regard. We should see how valuable they are. Paul loved his relationship to Epaphroditus. He was precious to Paul because Paul knew him on five levels. As a brother in the Lord, as a fellow worker, as one who suffered for the cause of Christ, one who was a messenger, one who ministered to his need. Our body life will be fostered the more we work and serve and sacrifice together. The more that we shoulder the load together, the more precious our relationships become. The more we feel apart, the more we feel needed, the more we feel integrated, the more appreciative we become, the more aware we become. You see, I don't think the Philippian church really knew initially all that Epaphroditus was doing. And there are probably many of us here who don't know really all that some in the life of our church are doing. Some are putting in just an inordinate amount of time. The more involved you become, the more aware that you will be of that. And I think also the more concerned. It's not real healthy. Uh, May God grant us a love and concern and respect for one another. That we hold in high regard those that, that are laboring among us. And at the same time, may we uh, shoulder our responsibility in the task. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the example of Epaphroditus. We thank you for his service for the Lord. We are told that we are to hold such people in high regard. And Lord, uh, we thank you for individuals that sacrifice tremendously in order to serve you. Not only those who are involved in a public kind of ministry of preaching and teaching the word of God. For Epaphroditus certainly did not have that. He had a behind the scenes ministry. In which he was a faithful servant who took a financial gift to the Apostle Paul and saw that it just wasn't sufficient. And he rose to the occasion. And gave himself wholeheartedly to overcome the lack. Lord, thank you for the people in the life of our church who see a need and rise to the occasion. And give, sometimes financially, sometimes physically, emotionally, spiritually. Give of their time, their sweat, in order to accomplish the work of God. Thank you, thank you by your grace for these brothers and sisters in the Lord. Help us all to be thankful for them. Help us all to search our own hearts and say, what can we do to alleviate that need? For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In uh, closing, let us uh, sing together hymn number 380, Living for Jesus, a life that is true.